Welcome back to the Empire's New Clothes. Again, Producers Recap. Welcome, Dylan. Hey, Bradford. It is, as everywhere in North America, very hot. Yes. Here, as, as there, I know. Hey to everybody out there. It's been a great week. Actually, um, I was sharing with Bradford a little bit offline, but me and my wife are able to move to a bigger space. So hopefully the home studio here is going to be transforming <laughs> soon. Yeah, you won't be in the pantry anymore. I don't, <laughs> don't know if it's your don't pantry. Don't tell people but... what's behind this, those <laughs> curtains. Gold oh, bars, funny. only gold bars. Not, yeah, exactly. Not soup. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are discussing Simon. Just did a sweet interview with Simon Mikhailovich. And yeah, that's that a comes great, out, great interview. Yeah, it comes out on Monday. And um, we've interviewed, I've spoken with Simon before, but I don't know if you've heard that one, Dylan. So yeah, I don't I know, have, are you but familiar I, with I, who Simon is? Yeah, I think for the, for the people who are uninitiated, though, some people might be coming in in the middle here of, uh, of the story that we're trying to piece together. So I, I think it'd be great if you gave a recap on who Simon is for those who are kind of going to listen to him and don't know maybe his background and, uh, and everything that all the other kind of investors in the world know Simon for. Yeah. So Simon, he's one of my favorites to speak to for sure. He's really down to earth, really humble. Um, he was born in the Soviet Union, actually, and his parents and him fled when he was 19. I believe in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so this was like a decade before it collapsed. And but they they fled for those reasons. And um, so our, our previous interview, he you know look it up. It's really cool. He talks a lot about that story. It's very very interesting. There's also some other great podcast where he dives into that even deeper. Um, so then he's this him and his family these immigrants in the U.S. They had a hundred dollars in their pocket. Um, the Soviet Union wouldn't let him take any more than that. And he started in the insurance industry. And then actually became really specialized in buying distressed assets um, mm. as a financial manager, him and his partner. And he, he actually focused in on the CDOs and CLOs and mortgage-backed securities. And so in, he, he saw what happened to them in the dot-com bust. And there was this big collapse, but it was overshadowed by this dot-com story. And then the amount of money that flew into this space in the 2000s he's like oh my gosh this cannot last like something is happening and so um in his words they began to raise funds to specifically short mortgage-backed securities and so in the old interview he he talks about that as well which is really obviously fascinating he he calls it he's like it wasn't the big short it was a modest short but it 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 was <laughs> Yes, it, and that and that's Simon in a nutshell, right? Like, I mean, they prepared for years to short this thing, so it, it was it was a really solid uh, trade. Mm. And actually, once the market had collapsed, they bought back their shorts. So then they bought all these things that since the dollar, and they've since you know gone up since then. So then I think around 2016, he was like, nothing was really fixed, and he has this really interesting lens because of his experience of fleeing a nation that is controlling the markets and then these really minute detailed experiences in our markets he's like 
I don't even want to be involved anymore. So he moved into gold. He now is the co-founder and the lead manager of the Bouillon Reserve. Um, they're this specialized uh, fiduciary who can help you manage your gold allocation on this stuff. Huh. Um, and yeah, so it now it's really fascinating his story. There's, yeah. there's so many things that you're talking about that that key me, but but keep going. Yeah, well, I mean that that's about it. But so now he, you know, he's in his 60s, I believe, and so he. Sorry, Simon, if you're in your 50s, but I, I feel like he's told me he's in his he's 60 or something. So now he kind of Simon, know, he you runs. look great. We just want to say <laughs> you look fantastic. So he he runs his business, but now he spends you know some of his time discussing these really big macro forces, and his his ultimate view is that we keep trying to fix a broken system with the same broken ways, and it's not fixing it; it's just making it worse, and. Simon has a great way of having these uh, these short little quotes like from from other great thinkers. He has some great one-liners, and so he he's able to compile all his thinking quite um, concisely. And so he he's a wonderful person to have on. Yeah, that's great. That it's so interesting what you've um, as you talk through someone's macro story. It's so interesting to see how. Like we've talked about before, sometimes our own ex emotional experience in the past makes it possible for us to see things or to acknowledge things, you know, that that are kind of obvious right in front of us. But sometimes it's it's actually very hard to acknowledge that because it might cause us personal pain to acknowledge that something yeah. is broken or, you know, we've, if we've grown up with certain narratives about how the world should be or um, our nation should be or, you know, the economy should be. And then, um, so that's, that's super interesting that he essentially has had this like three or four time experience of like com com communist Russia, uh, the dot-com bust, the housing bust, and then currently, you know, he's tracking and sounds like expecting some, some more turmoil beyond what we already see in our world right now. So very interesting. Um, Man, you know, one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting and I've thought a lot about in the past is this idea of confidence being the real like mm, driver yeah. of value yeah. in, you know, in the world. And I found it interesting, like, you know, honestly, I found it interesting to hear his perspective on why he has confidence in gold, you know, and thinking of, and, and, and why he thinks people should have confidence in something like gold. And then you have a great conversation about about crypto and his his perspective on that. And, and, you know, when we pull out, of course, you know, these are specific assets or possibly technical, you know, these are very specific financial things to be discussed. But when you pull back the human element of like, what are people putting their confidence in or what are, where, you know, in that, how that really drives value. So for instance, he, yeah. he had a couple uh, mentions of one of the things that he doesn't trust about the crypto space are the people that are like pumping it. You know, so like Elon, you know, Elon makes a comment, it goes up, Elon makes another comment, it goes down, you know, and, and that kind of literally the confidence being driven by like, who are the voices that people are listening to? And if somebody yeah. says something positive, suddenly something's worth more. And so, you know, and, and his perspective on, um, on gold, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think I 100% share. I mean, really, I'm just still listening and want to be a learner. So there's a few things that he said about, um, about gold, I really think you have to listen to the whole episode to really internalize it but statements about gold not being supported by humans you know but, but gold existing by itself I thought that was a really fascinating kind of claim that he made and I'm going to be like chewing on that mentally a little bit for a while because 
I'm like, well, people are mining this stuff. They're storing it. They're they're thinking of it as valuable. I'm not 100% sure, but I think what he means is, you know, if you have 10 bars of gold in your house and your house burns down, the gold will survive, you know, like in some form um, yeah. where if you put all your money in crypto and all the electricity gets shut off, um, it, it may not, you know, or if the network gets, if all the computers yeah. get destroyed or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a counter argument there for sure <clears throat> that, you know, humans are still involved. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was after the conversation or during it, but he mentioned something like the, the Incas, the Mayans, Romans, Chinese, like all these historical empires. Yeah, he does mention that individually. Okay. They value them this. without discussing amongst themselves. <clears throat> and uh, I never thought about that. That That is kind of interesting that like we as humans gravitated towards kind of the similar thing as a store of value um, over the eons. So I mm -hmm. think I, I'm trying to like bat for him right now that like I think that was kind of his um, right. perspective on that. Uh, but actually after the conversation, I think he's okay with me sharing this. He's, he said that he has traded crypto, um, from the long side. So like he has bought and sold crypto and made money on that. He just doesn't, un he, he doesn't come to the same conclusion that it's this, uh, this digital gold digital and it's gold, as right. hard of a store of value as, as, um, right. gold is. So right. anyways, the last half, we talk about that so we can let Simon kind of speak for himself during the Yeah, interview, no, it, it was it great. Was pretty I mean, interesting. He's very, very well-spoken, really interesting thoughts. Um, you know, I kept on going back to, to, to questions, uh, in my mind about, you know, confidence versus utility, like, you know, mm -hmm. how much, how much confidence really does play and, and where we put our money and therefore, what things are deemed valuable by us and yeah and um you know about like crypto for instance you know confidence in it as a, maybe as an investment vehicle its value is directly linked to, to confidence but things like spotify napster or you know different vehicles for distributing music for instance that that wasn't really you know the record labels or the the traditional distribution systems didn't necessarily fail because of confidence in them it was just a better way a faster way an easier way for a consumer to access it so i wonder mm -hmm. sometimes about just that the technical side and i think he does touch on that like a the um kind of the way the system works um value being created out of just utility um so i think he had some positive things actually to say about crypto in that yeah. in that sense um yeah and and, and <laughs> um a real area of interest to me is about the um he mentioned, you know, some people being really interested in crypto, mostly from the side of like a nihilism, like a financial or mm -hmm. nihilism of, of, you know, not wanting to trust the system. And, and he made the point, like, you know, you're not, you're going to, you're putting trust somewhere and whether it's with a, a you know, in a, the group, code a group of whales and, and in the code, you know, somewhere. It, it, you're really in it with people. The idea of removing trust you know, people call like crypto trustless. You, it's, it's just a, a different form of trust. It's, it's definitely a different form of trust. And it's, it is a little bit too simple. Me and you in private conversations have talked about this before, about this interesting question of if you're, let's say, a crypto maximalist or you're a crypto, I know that crypto maximalist actually means something very specific. But if you're somebody who really believes in crypto as like the thing that's going to change the world, the change that's going to change the, but be, specifically because of it, 
um, changing power dynamics, like taking the power mm -hmm. out of the hands of the wealthy or the, the establishment or government or whatever. If that's your, if that's the place you're coming from, then the real question is like in the future, there will still be a power group, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's maybe the people that bought into crypto <laughs> early on. And so does that really change the world? Like, you know, in the end, yeah. or does it just, you know, just kind of upend the, the power system and now you have new yeah. people in power and new people out of power and will they act differently? I, you know, people seem to act the same when they have power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It kind of seems like, um, you know, a lot of, you, you can't, you can't, um, destroy energy. Like it's there. It just can be in different forms. Mm -hmm. And so power, you can reorganize power, but you can't take, you can't destroy it. Like you can't remove power. Power may be reorganized by a new system, say crypto, but there's still going to be power. It's just someone else is going to have it, a different right. person or different right. people um, or a different ideology. There's still going to be power. Yeah. And Simon actually, he one of his main thoughts around that is the idea of like managing and having like societal um, breaks on um, influence, right? Like that's one of the reasons why, at least that's what I took. I thought that was a really great point w w that he's saying about like the volatility of something like crypto taking over. If you have no, you know, the idea of like tr this trustless, you know, we're just going to deal person to person with nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, no sense of like community managing this, which is your like, you know, the, fi the financial system managing it. The, that, that idea, um, he was making, he was speaking in favor. And I think, yeah, people will listen to the episode and, and, and understand his words for itself. But I, I, I often think that, you know, it is, we, we think that we want freedom. Uh, and I think there is a certain amount of freedom we want, but there, you know, when you get to the completely unmanaged, like there is no, he actually used a, a term financial morality. You know, there is no kind of check saying, mm -hmm. Hey, it's just not right for you to you know, for instance, benefit completely and not give something into the kind of roads you drive on or whatever. Um, so anyways, he, I thought that was, that was interesting. That idea of financial morality, I'd love to hear uh, some philosophers and some eth ethicists and, you know, folks like Simon continue to talk about that because it really is a question of like, what do we owe to each other? You know, if we are in this society together and in a system together, whether it's, you know, whether we're sending money through finance or, you know, Scotiabank wire transfer or something it's going through different systems but we're still connected to each other and there still is like a societal bond and that we're trading value so how do we keep that within outside of this financial nihilism and yeah. financial kind of like anarchy yeah interest interesting stuff anyway good good question um so i think we'll leave it there but I I, uh, I look forward to everyone checking out this interview and let us let us know what you think as well. And um, we'll check back with you next week. Thanks, Bradford. All right. Good to talk to you, Dylan. See ya. Bye.